1: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer
0: flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: Hey there, I'm Steph. And I'm Simon. And this is The Food Fight, a frank discussion of food culture featuring Australia's top chefs, producers, and experts. We'll chat about real issues and go places others won't. This podcast travels throughout the country and we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we gather and speak. And we pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. This one's another great Stock Takes episode. We're joined by sommelier, writer and gourmet traveller drinks columnist Samantha Payne to talk about food critics in a post-COVID world, Noma finally getting its third Michelin star and the usual jibber-jabber about things we see on the internet. Enjoy. Here we are. Another food fight podcast, another stock takes episode featuring the lovely Samantha Payne. Sam, thank you so much for joining us again. It's absolutely awesome to have you on.
0: Hi, friends. Hello. Good to be here with you guys, at least in Great. spirit, if not in person. Mm.
1: Yeah, you've got by far the best background to you. Like Steph's- yeah. my, Steph, my is
0: office, in- my office setup. Yeah, up. Steph's
1: in his bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> Like Working a 12, out of
2: my bedroom down here on the year south old, coast.
1: Twelve-year-old gamer.
2: Yeah, when I um when I finish with this, I I troll Miley Cyrus on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get through. You have got to get through. <laughs> Sam, how's things? How how's Sydney life? Um, Simon's in Wollongong, in between Wollongong and Bangalore. I'm isolated down here on the south coast. But how's this most recent lockdown been for you?
0: Um. I mean time has no meaning anymore. I don't really know what day yeah. it is. Um, it's funny. I was just talking to a mate in the UK before we all jumped online and, and he asked the same thing and and it's it's weird. I mean we when the lockdown first hit, me and when I talked to Stu Knox at Fix and, and everyone else, we were like, yep, this will be two weeks. Three maybe it's mm. not gonna go any longer than four. And we're now, what, 12 weeks in and it'll be another month before we're actually officially mm. out of our homes in any sort of dining, drinking capacity. Mm. It's just, it's so surreal. It is not how I thought 2021 was going to roll. A lot, of, a
1: lot of those 2020, uh, late 2020 tweets about 2021 being everyone's year um, yeah. have not aged well. No. Well at all. no, badly, if anything. I guess the worst um, thing though is it's not not knowing we like even with the New South Wales lockdown, originally it was like a week, and we we're like, oh, it's only a week, yeah. which was which was, which is very you know, very optimistic of us. But yeah, not not knowing for so long how long it's going to be, at least now we have some idea and it feels
2: better.
0: yeah, there's, hmm. it's it's light at the end of the tunnel, but because we can see, because there's an end date now, because there's a, a finishing point, Everyone's getting really antsy and really restless. It's like, yeah. oh, we're there, but we're not just there yet. So yeah,
2: yeah.
0: it's, um, look, it's okay. I mean, for my, I can only speak for myself and I am extremely fortunate, but I've been bonkers busy with everything that I've been doing. So uh, I've been internally thankful and grateful for that because there are a lot of my compadres that are not in the same boat.
2: Yeah, okay. Okay, well, that's. Good. I think that that's that's probably something I need to remind myself of. The fact that I've still got a job and I'm still busy is is a is a great thing as well. Um, and Simon, you seem pretty busy as well. So yeah, now I am. At least we're all still working. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, does anyone remember? This is a complete aside, but does anyone remember when the doll used to be called the John Howard Surf Team? The what? <laughs> I'm just relating it to people down here. So this is, okay, so this is back. When people were on people were on uh, New Start or whatever it was called back then, or the Dole, and it was when John Howard was our Prime Minister and they used to call it the John Howard Surf Team, which basically meant that you could just get money off the government and go surfing and, <laughs> and not pay a thing. I've started hearing the Scotty surf team coming up a little bit when it comes to JobKeeper and uh, and uh, disaster payments and things like that. People who've lost their jobs <laughs> saying that they're on the they're on the Scott Morrison surf team. Anyway. <laughs> Love it, love it. I mean, I if it wasn't, I think it
0: wasn't winter time. I would be more amenable <laughs> to that phrase. But, but one of but the, the only things, the- or see some sunshine now. Mm.
2: I know, right? <laughs> um, okay, sorry about that stupid aside. Should we get into it? <laughs> yeah, sure. All right. Well, where do we? Let's start with Sam's got a story um, to talk about. Let's start with that story, Sam. Um, do you want me to introduce it? Do you want to introduce the one that you suggested for us to talk about?
0: Oh, sure. We're we're really getting into the thick of it early. Straight sure. into it. Straight, straight into early. it. No no mussing around. Okay. Mm. So what I wanted to sort of wax lyrical about was, you know, there was a post that John Lethalin did on Instagram, as he always announces his stories via Instagram for most of us that don't (laughs) subscribe to The Australian and want to pay to get behind the paywall. Um, And he did a review on a restaurant in Perth and it was scathing, for want of a better word. Mm. And, you know, then the comments from everybody in the industry and out of the industry sort of went on and, and sort of discussed and it made me think about what our industry is going to be like post-pandemic because there's going to be some struggling to get back to where we were or in the height of where we were. Yes, there'll be that bounce back of, that initial bounce back of everybody just wanting to get out of their homes and wanting to get out. But, you know, from a tourism point of thing, it's going to take at least six months because Tas and WA have announced that they're not going to allow you know, anyone in or out till 2022. So we're going to be relying on local guests. And I guess the question I had was that kind of reviewing where it's, where it is scathing and where it is, I guess, negative for want of a better word. Is there really a place for it in an industry that's going to be struggling to get back on its feet Mm. and that's struggling to find staff?
2: 100%. I
1: so, think the- sorry,
2: Maybe we should rewind and just put, just give a little bit more detail into some of the criticisms of the article and some of the things that we're talking about. And I guess yeah. your question, Sam, is an interesting one as well, which is, what's it going to look like in a post-COVID world? And I think it's worth noting that this this review's taken place in a COVID's happening right now world. Um, so, I mean. It is in Western Australia, which is a bit different, and I suppose, like we're looking at from the perspective of, you know, people living in New South Wales under lockdown. So our perspective might be a little bit different, you know, viewing it from over here. But in terms of the details of the article, the main gripe of the article is about a waiter that was too casual and quirky and kept on sitting next to uh, the guests to talk about. The food or the menu or the weather or whatever so i just wanted to ask both of you how do you guys like how do you guys feel about being sat next to because it's probably happened to all of us are you thumbs up thumbs down depends on the context what do you reckon
1: i like it it depends on the person like some people could just get away with stuff like that um when if you are that person, knowing whether you're that person who can get away with it is the hard part. So I mean, really, it's up to his, his, you know, the bosses. Or you know, it, this guy might have been told that that's how they do it. Like he might have been said, you know, you know, go sit by the guests, lean over the table, say hi, guys. So really, um, this, you know, this this poor fella has got a lot of criticism in a national newspaper from a, a you know a very well known high profile journalist um, when. It's not really his fa- his fault and his job to set the service. It would be the the person in charge. So whether I enjoy it or not, I think um, it, it it's it's very dependent on lots of things.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I would I would completely agree with that. I mean, I agree that it's more of a context thing. Like if it was someone, if it was a friend of mine, absolutely. And that hmm. even yeah. and 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 that even may. That service style may even change, again, in a post-COVID landscape where you won't want to get so close to not only other diners but the people in the service industry, shall we say, because Mm. of all the reasons that COVID brings. Um, (laughs) But, again, I don't think it's the same same thing of when people critique wine lists. And to bring it back to a context that I can actually explain is, is wine list with theme or, or if you as a sommelier our job is to create a wine list that suits the restaurant by which we've created it for because of food because of where it is all the rest of it someone critic or not could come in and have an opinion about that wine list Does that mean that I'm going to change said wine list because one person did not like it? They couldn't find a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc or whatever it is that they're into? No, because I don't answer to them. Mm. I answer to the person that's paying my check.
1: Mm. I think like like restaurants, people seem to have this idea that restaurants need to serve them. Um, And As hospitality venues, we don't have to do anything for anyone if we don't want to. If we don't want to you know if you want to have a wine bar that doesn't serve any savant you can do that it's up to the customer to decide whether they want to come in um so that kind of weird thing of, of,
0: of being not, everything uh, to everyone well, yeah
1: and going personal. somewhere and then seeing their style and then complaining about the style it's like well you know like i've i've, I've, I've got the article up here because i do actually pay for the australians um, and like one bit that sort of i thought was an odd thing he says now i'm not a formal person but by the time third time my goat had been got, my guest, a genial individual who wouldn't make a fuss about anything, is pissed off. Like, that's pretty – like, would that really piss you off? Like, would that, would that be so, so annoying that you'd be like – like, someone who doesn't even get pissed off that much would be like, oh, well, he sat down again. Now I'm pissed. Like, it just seems a bit a bit over the top, really. Especially that when that's the style of
0: the top. restaurant. Like, yeah, I, I think, they've like, said that this is how we want to – we want to relax – style
1: mm. that's
0: okay if that's not for you but you can't then mark them down points for doing what they were told to do
2: exactly yeah I mean, it's, it's 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 a tough i think that it's like a very tough situation that these types of venues these sort of like upper upper class, like sort of fine casual wine bar good food but relaxed style neighborhood restaurants find themselves in when it comes to setting a service standard because it's like you're going to have a diversity of customers which ranges from people having a formal business you know dinner or something like that to people who you probably know that also work in hospital that are already pissed that just want to eat snacks and drink wine. And of course you can sit next to them and things like that. Like if you're running a three-hat venue that like, like key or something like you can train all your staff to serve everyone exactly the same, basically because it's a formal place and it's a special occasion. And of course you're going to say, you know, read the room a bit, but like, this is our style. But when it comes to those casual places, the hard, the hardest thing to train in, staff is being able to read the customer and and to what extent you can go in terms of your sort of familiarity and casualness and all that sort of thing and you know we don't know much about who this waiter was but if you want to just you know try to train your staff in the limited time that you have to do proper like really good floor staff training and say look we want to have a casual style and you know it doesn't matter if you sit next to them it and 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 stuff like that if they if they take that on board and have a go at it i don't know i think like you say simon if you if you, if you get pissed off by it as a mm-hmm. as a customer and if you if you really have the shits with that i don't know maybe it's just mm. a bit uptight
1: i don't know <laughs> i think the the i mean i feel there's always been a bit of a maybe an unwritten rule in reviews it's even something that when when someone calls out someone personally on like TripAdvisor that really gets people up. And he's kind of called this this guy out. Like he's, he's even said, in like the second paragraph, it's like slumped on the banquet is our waiter. Someone considered quirky, apparently. Like it's hmm. pretty rough. Um, and I think that I, I've very rarely seen that in reviews before where someone has called him out. Like I think commenting on the service as a whole is, is one thing and that, that's valid, but um, sort of picking on a single person um, and kind of making that, the main part of your article that just seems a bit of a a bit of a no-go
0: yeah I would agree with that Mm. do you think do you think
2: that the way that our media is distributed and the way that social media works these days plays into the possible sensationalizing of these sorts of things a little bit and sort of writing that article in a way that means that it will generate comments and you know will gain some chatter from online and comment sections and then people like us on a podcast. we're
0: playing right into it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
2: Like, do you think that the nature of the way that we consume media now changes the, you know, the way that these articles are authored?
0: Yeah. I mean, 100%, you know, Mm. there's a reason why there was that whole, you know, they call it clickbait. And I'm not saying Mm. that that's what this is, but there's a huge problem with that on the internet you know when when things you know in the early 2000s when things started to change into advertorial and things like that there were there were extra bonuses for the amount of clicks on articles now that's evened out a little bit now but of course you're going to get more mm. eyeballs
1: on mm. it yeah i mean i think it's always been a thing um less, less so in australia but in the uk and US, um, like bad reviews are almost more common than good ones because they 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 want that and people want to read that and they they're the most read ones. Like I think um, Jay Rayner from the UK has a has a whole book just his bad reviews, um, which which I generally think are quite fair um, to defend him a little bit. But like he didn't, you know, he's not going to make money selling a book full of. Uh, I'd say you're not going to make money selling a book of good reviews. That is the Good Food Guide. Um, so maybe, maybe you can. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> chefs and foodies by it, but yeah, like, so it, I think it's always been a problem, and now, it, obviously, just with with the internet and social media, um, it's even quicker from from publish to to sensationalism.
0: But you made mm. you made the point earlier, you know, pre recording about how Jay Rayner generally goes after bigger mm. targets. He sort of punches men. up.
1: It yeah, seems. punches
0: up. You know, he's not going after small guys for finicky, nitpicky things.
1: Mm, yeah,
0: yeah. And I that's think why that's Jay the... Rain is so widely, you know, acclaimed. Yeah, personally. yeah.
1: So yeah, I definitely.
0: You...
2: Um... Yes, yeah, Steph. Do you think? So? Do you think Simon that there is a bit more separation between critic and proprietor slash chef slash front of house manager? you know, in terms of their relationships in Europe as compared to Australia. It seems like most critics here in Australia know most, like know most of most hatted chefs and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. on, on a level that's more more personal than just going into a restaurant. Like when Jay Rainer walks into Lestrance in Paris or something like that, it's probably not as much of a familiar sort of like, how's it going, mate, kind of relationship with the staff as yeah. might be here in Australia.
1: That does seem quite apparent in Australia. I think, like, Jay Raiders seems to be pretty popular, but there's, there's um, the critical reviews for The Guardian, whose name I cannot quite remember. She is completely anonymous. Like, she won't let any photo come out. Mm. There's never yeah. a photo in the paper um so she sort of takes it you know very serious in a way that she wants to be completely anonymous um w- when she reviews so I think there's there's definitely and I think there's some s- similar in in um in, in America but yeah there's, de- there's definitely a bit of a which is which I think is, is a nice thing in some ways so it is quite friendly friendly buddy buddy uh in Australia with with, uh, with certain people so I think there's a difference difference there um
2: but, I mean, that's ma- interesting ma- with the anonymous review sorry to interrupt you Simon mm. is is that like we've got anonymous reviewers in Australia in the good food guide but we've got none that write bad reviews that are anonymous
1: yeah yeah I mean that that's an interesting point that yeah you'd feel you'd maybe feel even more aggrieved if you didn't know when they were in and, and when and so sort of where they get and what they had and um that interaction so I mean it's always a bit of a diff- difficult one I think going back to the sort of the original point was should, when hospitality has been completely fucked for, for 18 months, almost two years now, should you be writing bad reviews? Could, could he have just not written that review? Like I'm not saying write a good review and lie, but could he have reviewed somewhere else? Could he have, you know, um, just just not not done a negative one? Um, could he have written that review without, you know, picking on an individual member of staff? Would, would that be more positive Given right now,
2: mm. yeah
0: I mean, I would. I would hope so. I would. I would think that that would be the way to go because once you start pulling at that thread, there might not be that many restaurants left. Mm. You know, they're already. I know you guys mentioned it on the last podcast, but we're already getting trolled on the internet just for following government health just guides. for opening back up. Just for opening back up <laughs> with with the rules that we've been mandated that we have to follow. We're already getting <laughs> trolled for that. Do we really need it from fellow industry people? Yeah. At at this point at this point in time.
2: I think that I think that the the tough one is Uh, really heavily criticising service. And I know that, like, you know, this was a sort of different aspect of service, but, you know, other things were mentioned and stuff as well. But, like, I mean, yeah, perhaps, like, you know, the chef can be in control of the food and the produce and things like that, but the fact that it's just so hard to find good staff these days, we've lost our entire overseas, you know, Workforce, and it's just few and far between. Again, it might be different in WA than it is here, but like I think, you know, it's going to be a big problem here for a long time. So to to really to really go after service in in a review, like to make service the main thing, Mm. it's, it's a difficult one.
1: Admittedly, your service very much relies on an interaction with a person, so it's it's probably not the easiest thing to write a review without sort of mentioning someone, I imagine it can mm. be done. You two are the writers, you tell me, um, but you would have to sort of work around a little bit. So I, I, I get that inherently it's an interaction with a person. Um, so I guess that's tough, but yeah, it's, it's just, it just, it feels a bit unsavory. It feels a little bit yuck. Mm. feels mm. like, feels like punching suppose,
2: down. Yeah. I suppose that's the other thing. It's like, I think that there is still definitely places for bad reviews and stuff like that. And, you know, like, neither you nor I, Simon, thought that, you know, Eater having having a, a bit of a crack at Eleven Madison Park's vegan menu was like, they've just been through COVID, how dare they, sort of thing. That point. But, like, when, I don't know, it just seems a bit different when it's a neighbourhood restaurant, a small business mm. and things I- like that, rather than, like, I think that I, I, I would, it would be much easier with me with you know, the first review of Claire Smyth's new place in Sydney not being great than, you know, this a new neighbourhood wine bar that's just opened up to, to to receive the same criticism for some reason. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I get it. So we need I to mean, we, I we think that a list. Then,
0: That then for me, like using that as an example, that <laughs> then for me brings in the relevance for it all because let's say... Claire mice new, new join and someone and someone of notoriety puts out a negative review. Is that actually going to stop any one of us or any one of the public going to check it out?
1: Mm. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's why we didn't even consider it with 11 Madison Park because we knew it wasn't going to make any difference their bookings. People were going to go either way. Um, yeah, a smaller restaurant that's lesser known that could have legitimate
2: impact on their bookings. consequences.
1: yeah but um yeah I think got- that
2: this I think that this article will do. Heritage Winbar, you know, like to get a two out of five and to basically tell the tell the Perth public that the place is shit is like yeah. yeah. But it was also
0: interesting in the comments of people being like, "Oh, I've been before and I loved it," or Mm -hmm. "I've been I've been twice and both times have been great." And I tried to book in for the Saturday night and it was already booked out. So,
1: Mm. well, yeah, let's hope. I mean. The uh, old adage of "there's no bad publicity." Let's hope that it you know, fires enough people up to, to go again and to tell their friends and everything else. So, um, yeah, we can definitely definitely hope that. But uh, it's still um, it's still uh, just just a worry at this time when businesses are, are closing and people's livelihoods are being lost. Um, that someone who, you know, although they may they may kind of think or claim that they're outside the industry, like a lot of critics do. Their, their, you know, their, their livelihood is dependent on us having restaurants and having bars. So if they close us all down, they're pretty fucked.
0: <laughs> Nothing to review if nothing's yeah.
1: open. You're like, ah, finally, <laughs> <A> <laughs> dream My dream job. Oh, my, my work here is done. <laughs> yeah.
2: All right. Well, should we move on to the next news item?
1: Yeah. You wanna, you wanna talk talk Noma?
2: Yeah, go for it. You started off, Simon.
1: Uh, Noma, that little restaurant in Copenhagen, it's been around for knocking around for a bit, went and got themselves three Michelin stars, which um, was quite surprising for a lot of people. Um, so, if you, if you didn't know, Noma hasn't never had three stars, there's always been two, even though they've topped the, the world's 50 best multiple times. They're, they're probably you know top five or 10 most influential restaurants. Um, definitely the restaurant of this generation has spawned countless chefs and countless further stars. People who have worked there have gone on to win three stars Um, and poor René just hasn't, hasn't managed to get it for whatever reason. So, and it's been a bit of a knock on Michelin and there's been rumors of, you know, they, they didn't want to let the top 50 influence them and it in, you know, whether Nomad Noma was a Michelin star or three Michelin star style of restaurant. So lots of kind of things over the years, but I think people are just sort of, stopped worrying about it so the, the announcement came as a bit of a surprise especially in a year where you know a year ago no no more were doing burgers <laughs> so and by all
0: accounts they were delicious yeah the imagine, were imagine, over there, they're, like, they're yeah, amazing yeah they're so amazing
1: really burgers fun. so it just seems and I, I wonder whether they michelin were maybe using this year to sneak it under the carpet to sort of right, right a decade of wrongs maybe so Bit of an interesting one, um, and just feels more of the the Michelin intrigue and
2: hate and confusion. I think. What what do you think? What do you think prevented Noma from getting Sam? Like, where do you see that that line with Michelin and Noma only sitting on two stars for the last however long? Is this just the sort of the stuffiness of old school European? uh expectations for what what three michelin stars means
0: i would i would ag- i would agree with that sentiment of of in their eyes they were like well here are the certain boxes that you have to tick here's the criteria this is the way that we see it this is the way that we've always seen it this is the bar kind of thing i think and someone it was either in a comment on Instagram or it was in a piece that was written about it. Um, someone had mentioned that maybe they came to their senses because, in a lot of ways, there isn't really Copenhagen dining without Noma. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? They, that whole influx oh, I mean. of people going to Copenhagen, yeah. not only for Noma, but then to see the scene around it—that yeah. you know, the nebulous that they are a part of.
1: Yeah, I think I think without Noma, there's not um, a thousand restaurants with tan wooden chairs and uh, and wooden tables. So natty wine, uh, <laughs> which I mean, like is is silly, but like it's kind of true. Like they spawned um, and influenced a whole generation of, of not even just like chefs and food of of restaurant settings and service and but what wine can be served. Like yeah. a
0: real a real like collection of restaurants and vibes and,
1: you know, all of that.
2: Yeah, so in in a, sorry, Simon, in a, uh, in a response or in a, in a bit of a statement, uh, cryptic explanations from Michelin folks saying it's about the food, we're very strict and inflexible in our criteria, which is sort of like a response to why haven't Noma received a, uh, Michelin star, three Michelin stars in the past. Simon, Simon, you've got a better understanding of Michelin than I do, having worked in Europe mm. and, and all that sort of stuff. Like, do you think that the criteria of the Michelin Guide, if they aren't recognizing, you know, for the last decade or however long, if they're not recognizing NOMA's contribution to the hospitality industry and their innovation and, you know, being the restaurant of a generation, if they're not including that in their criteria for giving three Michelin stars, are they a bit behind the times? Because it seems, you know, you you can basically list the ingredients that are on a classic three Michelin star menu with Mm. your lobsters and your foie gras and your caviars and, and all those sorts of ingredients and things like that. I mean, the innovation that Noma's shown over the years is just above and beyond that style of dining. Like, do you think Michelin that, that that Michelin criteria is a bit outdated?
1: Um. Yes, like Michelin, like especially three star restaurants have always the jokes always been it's it's a list of uh, of restaurants where rich people can eat caviar and truffles um, <clears throat> and foie gras. I mean, and, and it still is that you still see restaurants in the UK and that this they still look so so old school compared to australia from from plating from settings from the dining room um but it's it's kind of copycat world where if if you want to win 3 3 stars you look at everyone else who's got 3 stars so i guess the chefs do um perpetuate it themselves as well but they've they've always been slow and it's such a mission such a massive thing now and they've got guides all around the world and and you know they very much seem to go now when they do a new guide it's it's where they're gonna you know sell guides which is fair enough but very much influenced by the money um i mean there's, there's a reason they, they haven't come to australia um because it's probably not worth it financially to them even though we've got some you know some of the best restaurants in the world so yeah it's 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 outdated and they've sort of feigned to try and update it by like you know having that little hawker chan restaurant or, or fucking shack in in Hong Kong, get get a star, and it was like the cheapest star restaurant, and some other kind of like less likely three stars. But it it does just seem like they've had a had a bit of a blind spot, or maybe maybe they're just stubborn. Maybe they're just stubborn French people.
2: But is this? Does this mean that they're not being that stubborn anymore? Like, have they? I mean, uh, have they changed the criteria slightly, or has Noma's food gotten to Michelin, three Michelin star I mean, level somehow? Yeah, so, it's,
1: uh, like. It, it, it does, it, like, it happens quite often where, like, in the UK especially, like it, there's, there's always someone who everyone is expecting to get their third star. And it it's almost feels like it's ordained. Like, but when I was you know young chef, it was um, Marcus Waring. Like, he was going to get his third star. Oh, it's got to be this year. It's got to be next year. And obviously, he's gone before that. Um, there's a restaurant in, in Cartmel in Cumbria along Clume, which everyone thought they were going to get their third star for ages and just didn't. So, like... It, and, and, and like in every other guide, it was like the highest-rated restaurant, all these things. So they do on the outside see like they they tease it and string it out almost for as long as possible because maybe that you know, maybe that does um, that that pushes sales and pushes interest. So maybe maybe they were just like let's pull the the, the biggest tease with, with Noma. But let's like let's let's wait till they do fucking burgers or some shit and then we'll give them three stars <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. <hell>. Mate, it's, <laughs> it, it's it's the timing that rings a bit odd yeah. to me like if it was after because I know that they're obviously working on the new menu and everything like if it was after like a fully proper opening mm. and into the into their stride again I could understand that it was like NOMA 2.0 we're reopened everything's happening blah 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 but it was in this weird lull bit Mm. It's just such an odd move.
1: Mm. Yeah, it kind of almost I, feels like they, they, they had this in their back pocket and it's like it's a bit of a down year. Let's pull the trigger on this one. Yeah. Get, people on, <laughs> get people on podcasts in Australia. We don't have a fucking guide talking about it. Um, it always comes back to us. Whatever
0: it is that we're talking about, it's always coming yeah. back to
2: us. I was complaining oh, about this stuff. This, this podcast worldwide,
0: man. I was <laughs> yeah. just looking
2: at the audience of this podcast. Yeah. Our second largest demographic is in Canada. <laughs> not even New Zealand or England yeah, <laughs> loving it it's, awesome. like, yeah, it's an interesting friends, one like listening. <laughs> I think um, I mean I think that the one cool thing and I don't know like fuck it any day of the week you can just head on over to Rene's or Noma's Instagram page and just see something that's still so interesting and innovative mm-hmm. like the fact that he's had the energy and the you know the the drive to keep innovating after this long like you know noma 2.0 opened in 2018 i mean they've been through covid and had to adapt and things like that but now they're back you know in full swing and everything's just looking as cool and as interesting as it always has like it's a, it's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty awesome yeah. thing and like i don't know it's it, as you say simon it's, it's Basically the restaurant of, of that generation. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, and and like you mentioned, Sam as well. It's just it's basically developed a, a food culture in Copenhagen and in Denmark that's like I mean it's got to be one of the top dining destinations in the world now, right? Oh, like, yeah.
1: <clears throat> I think I think you might have um if had a guess from someone who hasn't been there and doesn't know anyone who reviews Michelin personally, um, possibly the the consistency. Cause that is one thing Michelin bang on about and all the chefs who win stars bang on about is consistency. And and they obviously claim that they review multiple times and, um you know, up to up to 10 times if you, if you can get your second or third star. So with a, a menu that was always pushing boundaries and, and chopping and changing and um, all these things, then um, that might be the knock against them. I mean, the other thing, maybe they just couldn't get a booking. It's taken them 15 years. <laughs>
0: But, I mean, you can, have, you can have consistency in, I mean, you can have consistency in anything. It doesn't have to necessarily be, like you mentioned about the chopping and changing and stuff, but the innovation is the thing that's been consistent. Mm. That that sense of imagination is always been consistent. It doesn't matter that the menu changes seasonally or even mid-seasonally, they'll chop and change things. Like you said, it's that constant striving to innovate and think outside the box and do something different it's like you saying to Mm. like heston getting into like a lab and doctoring up some sort of frankenstein meat fruit and going (laughs) oh well that's not really consistent because you haven't done that like on and on and on it's like Mm. it's that kind of that to me the the consistency in that sort of it doesn't have to be that's the way that i see it anyway um
1: yeah i'm
0: I'm not the one judging but that's if, if, if consistency is the question mark that's what i would counter argue with that
1: yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting that like Heston's had three stars for how many years and, and his stuff's always pushed the boundaries in a slightly different different way um, and they've never had a problem giving him three stars, although I don't think his menu's changed in a decade, so well, maybe, sure. maybe that's, that's the consistency they're looking for, I think.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting one. You try to put yourself into the place of someone dining at NOMA as well, like a Michelin reviewer dining at NOMA and it's like... You're used to sort of dining at X, Y, and Z place, and then you've come to NOMA to review it. You're trying to review it according to Michelin criteria, and then it's just sort of this completely different experience where you're eating seals, dicks, and, like, (laughs) random, like, you know, like, then suddenly some fucking guy dressed as Zorro takes you to some field somewhere or whatever. I don't know what's going on over there. And you're like, how do I put the Michelin criteria into this dining <laughs> experience like, like I don't yeah. know yeah but, so mean, finally, it, yeah
1: must be a problem of, of, of sitting too far out the box that uh, the Michelin um couldn't couldn't, couldn't see it yeah
2: mm. cool anyway it's an interesting one congratulations no my congratulations Renee and yeah, we, uh, we know you listen yeah yeah shout out shout out to Renee um cool let's move along Sam uh, and, Simon, you guys have some stuff to talk about when it comes to wine. Uh, Sam brought in – I mean, we've got some interesting – got, we've got a new season on the way. We're in spring. Sam, I'll let you take it away. You lead this one. I'm not the wine expert. You guys are. Go for it.
0: <laughs> I, love, I love how wherever you set me up, I can just segue into things. So – Think talking about things that are outside the box. Mm. Um, I don't know if you saw on Ty Tate's Instagram.
1: I am obsessed with his Instagram. This <laughs> lockdown,
2: He's anyone that's listening, funniest to this, man. If you are not
0: following Ty and watching <laughs> his videos. You are missing out on daily bouts of joy yeah, because yeah. he is just hilarious. He is yeah. also, on top of that, a down-to-earth, kind human being. So Ty, if you're listening, we love you. Um, But he did a review of a wine from Dormel that's been co-fermented with hemp seeds. Um, I highly recommend watching it because the review is awesome. (laughs) Um, But it led me to thinking about those that are making wines, especially coming into spring and summer, and when we talk about aromatics more than anything, especially with, like, Riesling and Gewurztraminer, other ways that we can get aromatics into wine. And so Dormalona's um done a co-ferment and I did speak to Joe from Dormalona out in, um, so she's based in Margaret River in WA but gets a lot of fruit from the Swan Valley as well. That's my pro tip for this year. If you haven't yeah. um, tried any wines from the Swan Valley, try them because yeah. there are some spectacular things coming out of um, basically Western Australia's oldest wine-growing region. It gets overshadowed by Margaret River all the time. Um, but, yeah, so Joe's done uh, co-fermented semillon with hemp seed. So it spends, it's about 10 kilograms of hemp seed, she said, she added to the ferment um, and spent three months on skins in a concrete egg and then pressed into barrel and then no sulfur, no additions, whatever, into bottle. Um, and there's a few other people that are co-fermenting aromatic wines like Riesling, semillon, um, Gewürz Traminer with other things. Um, you know, so it's not quite vermouth, but it's not quite your standard average mm. wine either. You know, Sam from VHS Wines in um, down in SA, so down Adelaide Hillsway, is the king of co fermenting weird things together. Um, yeah. And he's done, he's done a Gewürz Traminer or one of, one of his first trauma projects, and he's basically, it's a three-week fermented, and then he's locked in the ferment with cherry wood smoke for eight months, which he self-describes it as a wine that brings up uh, childhood trauma, apparently. Um, so I don't know if you people really want to drink. I don't know if that's the best selling point for it, but it is incredible, and it is, mm. for me, this is what gets exciting about Australian wine. So for those that don't know. I think the last time I was on the podcast, I mentioned that I was uh, taking over as drinks writer for Australian Gourmet Traveller. So mm. throughout all the columns this year, we've been talking about Australian wine and different Australian wine regions. And we're now hitting sort of that 12 month of me doing the column. And I've realised that, that this has kind of become my love letter to the Australian wine industry and the nuance that we have here in this country. Because we're not controlled by Appalachian controls, we can be at the forefront of innovation. And I'm not saying that everybody is going to start fermenting with different things, but it's pretty exciting that we have the possibility and the potential to be able to do that and to make a delicious wine that isn't necessarily about talking about a place, it's talking about a memory or a flavour or something Mm. just really cool.
1: Mm. What was your, I mean, it's, it's kind of been, Trickling along for a couple of years now, there was the um, was it Brave New Wine, someone else in WA did the the aromatic Riesling.
0: Yep, the aromatico. Um, yeah. And um, Taris, um did did a Riesling fermented with mm. p- plants from the garden. So he yeah. just basically got his kids, kids to go out and just pick different things from their garden and threw it into the ferment. No mm, rhyme, yeah. no reason. Um, and it was, it was delicious.
1: So we've been seeing them for a little while. What, what was your first reaction to them? So I think like for a lot of people, and even myself a little bit, it's kind of like, oh, well, is that wine? Like, and you sort of think about like, where, where is it classify And, and, and am, am I, am I on board with this? Where did you sit when you first sort of seeing these wines come along?
0: It's funny. It's my, my Uni degree art history brain mm-hmm. kicked in, and it was with that whole "is this wine?" question because you're obviously going to ask it. You're like, "Is this wine, or is this vermouth? How are mm-hmm. we rolling with this?" And then it was like, "Well, it's wine because they've said it's wine. Is it yeah. good? Is is it good? Is is subjective? I enjoyed the ones that I tried. Um, is it going to fit in every list that I write? Absolutely not." You know, um, but there are there are times where I just want to try something interesting and cool and different and makes me think. Mm. You know, if I want to if I want to go have a champagne and a burger, I'll go do that. But if I want to <laughs> go have, you know, that's this is again this is the nuance of of Australian wine and mm. innovation and you know they're not always going to get it right, but at least they're giving a crack and if i don't like it i bet you there are 10 other people that will yeah
1: yeah i think i think i had to kind of just drop that question altogether because it was at the end of the day it was a it was a pointless question to ask but it's something that obviously still comes up um and then i kind of and for me it was like well people do it in beer already and it's not seen as a bad thing and like you know how many different mixed drinks are there they're amazing and you know how many how many drinks uh that sort of now classics probably started as something of like i like, mean you know, did, did, you know moose starters oh this is wine with extra booze in and smelly stuff so like yeah well if it was a backlash there so i think so to kind of forget the question and and just try and enjoy these drinks as they are um and especially just mm. Sam stuff is it's it's kind of pretty, just pretty wild uh and kind of mind-blowing um the sort of vision he has for some of some of these these flavors and some of the, the things he's put in um and i mean like i think maybe the thing it turned me around was uh one of his wines we had a power i can't which one but it just smelled of native thyme and oh, yeah. it, that just came up and I was just like, oh, that's cool. And that, that obviously got me hooked a bit then because I was like, mm-hmm. that's a flavour, you know, and a smell I've never never had in wine before. And it, in some ways that kind of gives it more of a sense of place of Australia when you've got these native ingredients as well. So I think that's an interesting an interesting part um, to kind of bring terwa in. Can I ask two questions?
2: Your podcast yeah. you can ask many is... questions is <laughs> what I'll so give you two, three if you want. Wine expert. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll start with two. I'll give you another one if you need it. Yeah. Um, can you put me in the mind of a uh, of, of one of these winemakers and not Sam's, no. Just uh <laughs> we, love like, you. we love you, Sam, just, but I don't want to spend any the, time in
0: your brain. What's the
2: <laughs> what's the like what's the decision making process around you know, like what to chuck into which ferment and things like that. Is this, is this, you know, technique, a case of like, well, hemp sounds good, like, or kids go out in the garden, let's give that a crack. Like, is it kind of experimentation or is it more so like, look, we think that this type of grape has X, you know, character to it. That could be nicely complemented by, you know, this, and we're just going to try it. Um, you know, like, or is it a combination of all these things like do all these sorts of different
1: what, what, things? What was you? Joe's uh, thought process with the with the hemp sem?
0: I asked her and she didn't reply. <laughs> oh. I was like so uh, what's the what's the thought process behind this and she didn't reply? And I was like, okay, probably safe not to know. No, oh. I think I think you know, I've had obviously long talks with Sam because I find what he's doing absolutely fascinating. Um and he will also be the first to admit that he's he doesn't always get it right, but he's trying and he's experimenting and it's 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 kind of like the chicken and the egg question. It's you know, it's experimentation to see what works. It's looking at aromatics and looking at flavors in a completely new, out-of-the-box way. Um it's it's just doing something interesting and and different and and like you said like mm. I like, you know I like the smell of native time. Oh, well, well, let's chuck some of that in there because that complements Semillon or Gewurz or or whatever, you know. Because re- obviously, obviously, those grapes have certain characteristics as well. So how can we enhance them or how is it? You know, it's the same thing we talk about with food and wine matching.
2: Mm. So yeah. maybe the answer, maybe the answer to that question is. Because why not? And because in- experimentation's fun, and mm. we like drinking wine. and We like, f- like yeah. I think yeah.
1: people, especially if you're you're creative and and you're know, you're you're making something, everyone wants to fuck around a bit. You know, chefs trying to
2: yeah, put,
1: you know, weird combinations and see what works on, on a on a on a dish. And you know, there's there's not a single fruit uh, around that a brewer hasn't stuck in a beer um, of recent. Mm um so yeah I, I guess i guess it's just kind of like like why not because <laughs> like, i could um so yeah it's the the interesting wines um and they yeah give like sam say kind of give you um maybe just maybe it's a, a pure flavor things so you're not worrying so much about um you know where it's from and how it's made you're going you know what flavors are in this wine so maybe it just gives you a kind of a different different insight into uh or different kind of taste experience
2: yeah Mm, okay second question as you said all brewers throw fruit into beer and all that sort of thing but like so for me i mean my perception may be incorrect but like if i see a guava sour on a tap somewhere like i might be inclined to Give it a crack if I feel like it, you know what I mean? If it's a hot day. Um But if I'm gonna have six beers, I'll probably have five Newtowners and one guava sour. And if I'm buying a slab of beer, I'm not buying a slab of guava sour. Is do you think that the you know the selling aspect of of, of these wines will be a similar dynamic to that? Or is are things, you know, likely or liable to be found that are like this combination is something that's fucking banging and it's going to stick around and people are going to know the old Pinot and, you know, whatever, co-ferment.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think these wines these are about about as niche as, as you can get. Um, <laughs> okay. this is like niche for Soms. <laughs> like, um, so there's, and I mean, I don't think anyone's making massive quantities of them. Um, a lot of the VHS bottles came in like 500 mils, I think they were, um, which, is pro- which is probably a good idea.
0: Yeah, and by, uh, and by the time Sam sent me samples, they were already sold out. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. It's like, great. thanks.
0: thanks. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I mean, yeah, I his wines are pretty good kind of cult following. So I guess um, if people who are making these wines make, make, a, make, make a barrel and it sells, they, they, yeah. they're happy with that.
0: I mean, shout out again to Ty and his built-to-spill company. He is getting some of Joe's hemp semi on. So yeah, cool. if anyone wants to try it, he's get on it quick because there's sweet FA.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, have you tried it? Have you tried it yet?
0: Sam? No. No, I haven't. Mm. Uh, but Joe did send me a bunch of stuff that I've got to look at. So I'm yeah, nice. kind of hoping there's a sneaky one in there. <laughs> you
1: have to let us know.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Who knows how? Yeah. Who knows? How, like, I, I guess. I guess the first brewer to throw, you know, a, a black forest cake into a ferment. I bet um, that's. I bet that's
1: a beer. You know, that was quite. Beer. That was quite. Oh, there is. oh there definitely. Is. Moondog. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, you wouldn't make. Okay, right. Well, maybe we should play a game of <laughs> of, of real beer or made up beer.
2: <laughs> yeah, that'll be a good one for the next one, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> It'd be
2: impossible. But I guess, like, I guess what I mean is, like that, that uh, you know the movement probably started as niches what where wine is now. So it'd be interesting to see how mm. uh, how it proliferates.
1: I mean, I think the, the, the parallel there with beer is that breweries now kind of have to do a constant um, production of, of special one-off beers that they they kind of have to do because that's what the beer heads buy. You know they'll they'll come in and buy this new beer they've released. They've kind of read an article where they've sort of got themselves in this trap where they've got to comp- comp- like constantly make these new wacky beers. Like I had a Powerade beer the other day. I can't remember who made it. It was fucking gross. <laughs> it was blue. Like I couldn't just couldn't couldn't do it. Couldn't get my head around it. So like it's. I think uh, just
0: blue drinks in general. when Pepsi brought out the blue Pepsi and everyone freaked oh, out?
1: Yeah, there was um. <laughs> There was another one was um Nick Nick Tazar's um uh, liqueur range from Melbourne um not Madini. Mede- uh, the other one anyway there was yeah the there's a blue Curacao beer that I tried in the, a pub in hunter <sighs> it wasn't about it it wasn't about it
2: yeah blue's not a color you want to be drinking unless you are like at the dentist or something maybe I, like
1: I don't even like blue parry so. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I actually don't mind Blue power to be honest. Uh, red all the way, country. mate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> red Powerade, power
1: though. Fruit juice. Cool. All right. Stephen, um, well, did you have any interesting other... to see how it plays out. Yeah. Did you have any other wine so, questions? You said you might have a third. Do you have any other wine questions whilst we're, we're chatting wine? Whilst we're on, we're whilst we're on. on
2: wine, while well, we've got Sam here, we can't move, we shouldn't mm. move on from wine just yet. Sam, um, um, what's what do you, what's... Any releases uh that are that are about to happen or have happened recently that you're particularly excited about?
0: Oh um, I mean sorry, to be honest, I have been deep deep diving into bubbles and sparkling at the moment um for the November feature in, in GT. So my whole past three weeks has literally been immersed in everything bubbles from champagne to petnat and ancestral which has brought me quite a lot of joy in lockdown and some looks from the neighbours at all these booze that keep showing up Um, What, what,
1: what bubble should we be celebrating the end of lockdown with then
0: oh there's actually, okay, so hot hot pro tip, there is one from the, uh, Andrew Gard that Gardy brings in um, and it's called, um, it's funny, it's from Sidron um, in France, which is just south of Jura. It's 100% Chardonnay done in that, you know, ancestral pet natty kind of style, but it's not, it's not funky. It's pretty, it's pretty clean. Mm. Um and it's called it's called Aussie. It's A U S I, and it is just phenomenal. It's only forty three dollars, and it was just punching above its weight in terms of like quality and flavor, and could easily drink many bottles of it in summertime when it gets a bit warmer. So that's my that's my and when we're
1: open. Yeah, and when
0: we're open. Yeah. yes.
1: Lock, lock in your allocation now. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Everyone hit up Gary. Awesome.
1: Yeah.
2: Simon, so, mean, you got a, you got any more wine questions for Sam before we move on? Um, we haven't got much
1: left. So, well, that was that was going to be my question: was what you're going to drink when we get out of lockdown? What's your, what's your first drink? But um, okay. we'll, we'll go we'll go, with, we'll, go with, we'll go with bubbly Jura.
0: Bubbly Jura, uh, bubbly Jura. south of Jura. It, um, is that uh, the most uh,
1: Is that the most som answer you could have come up with? What? Yeah. Like bu- bubbly Jura. <laughs>
0: found, <laughs> this, found this little bubbles. It's just south of Jura. And yeah. uh, you know.
1: Smaller, smaller a good, place. Smaller <laughs> place.
0: Uh yeah, it was probably a very sum answer, wasn't it? Uh, hang mm. on, I'll give you a non sum answer. Okay. Um, I will be mainlining Aperol Sours as soon as you again. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Just give me a, a burger and an Aperol Sour, yeah. and I'm gonna be really happy.
1: Yeah, amazing.
2: Is there is there any last one? Sam, is there any cool wine stuff that's been, like, is there any, I don't know, like, I mean, in in the same way that restaurants have adapted and provided these interesting sort of delivery services or offers or anything like that, has has there been anything like that going on in the wine world during lockdown here in New South Wales, you know, in the same way? Has there been any interesting pivots, any interesting changes? Well, I
0: mean, the wine world hasn't really shut down, you know, I mean... God bless them, but all bottle stores are still essential services. Mm, <laughs> so mm. you can go get you can go get your jab and then have a little little six pack of something delicious. <laughs> um, I do love I do love that that say like people like Ella at Native Drops or Stuart Fix are doing curated six packs for people. So mm. you just give them a budget and they'll make you up a six pack of something cool. I've seen a lot of that, which I really like because it shows it shows sort of innovation in, in in drinks of what of what this particular person thinks is really interesting that you might like um, so there's that obviously that community human aspect to to it which I which I like but I mean everybody's everybody's still open technically you know to yeah. be able to you, buy
2: are people selling as much wine like I mean what's the what's the impact on the sales are people just drinking the same amount of wine but they're drinking it at home now
0: yeah, it was the same exactly the same exactly the same as last lockdown. I've seen that is the last one. I've, I've seen figures I've seen figures from my some of my clients who are obviously still selling. Um, and it's astronomical what they what they're selling That's and making. It's in a very good way kind of thing, but um, yeah, it's it's like you said. It's exactly what happened last lockdown, which was everyone is still drinking the same amount, and we've seen the the Morgan the Morgan Ray stats on that, but they're just doing it in one destination, which is at home, as opposed to spread out amongst the pubs and restaurants and things like that.
2: Mm. Cool. All right, all right, Steph. Shall we move on? Yeah. Look, yeah, I've only got one little, like, I mean, that was a, a, a fantastic one, Sam, but I mean, the, like, this is usually the section where we do the the, the f- f- cool little things that we've noticed on Instagram. And basically every time John Raleigh from Textbook Patisserie, who's an alumni of this podcast, puts up a post from his Bush River kitchen. I'm just like, fuck, John, where is my invitation? I want to come to wherever you're it's on the Hawkesbury River somewhere and he's done a, he's done a, his own little Instagram page for it. It's called bush oh, with they... the Kitchen. And he's got uh like he's got a Argentinian grill and a wood fire pizza oven and it's just like in the middle of the bush somewhere. I mean he's such a good baker that he's just doing these absolutely epic pizzas, amazing grilled game meat that he's probably killed himself and then using the residual heat in his his pizza oven to to bake amazing bread and that's amazing. yeah i don't know it just it just yeah. looks really nice like that's a fucking and like he's tagging lockdown life of course um
1: if someone like was enjoying lockdown, lockdown like life. yeah it looks like he's quite enjoying <laughs> lockdown life like <laughs> that's like, a little bit further yeah,
0: outside like, of my 5 ks yeah yeah
1: if, if anyone's yeah, enjoying it, right. it yeah um, yeah as always is fascinating uh, social media does does john have the mi- mi- mixture of, of beautifully crafted patisseries and then uh uh butchering a deer in a field like like it's yeah. it's, it's, it's quite jarring it's between the two it's, yeah it's yeah. a
0: balance
1: yeah and it'll be yeah. one after the other as well you'll be like clicking <laughs> through and you'll be like oh oh another croissant oh oh fuck um <laughs> yeah. So, uh yeah amazing as always <laughs>
2: just uh, it's the pizzas that get me man you've got to check him out and just look at his pizzas they i saw so- i didn't
1: realize it had its own instagram page i saw one of the pizzas on his his, his uh his page i didn't realize
2: it yeah he's putting well he's <laughs> putting stories he's putting up stories of, of the food that he's making but you can't really see the videos like he doesn't put the videos up as posts but um like i was just watching these stories of this pizza like cooking in 30 seconds in like real time basically in his story and just coming out piping hot with the most delicious looking dough and crust and truffles all over it and stuff and it just looked great and i'm like i want to go there so john i've got my hand up uh please invite me to yeah. the truva kitchen <laughs> we're there. Um, as an aside considering we're talking about uh john and who used to be in those like he used to do those like patisserie competitions where they make all this wild stuff out of like marzipan and chocolate and things like that i think people are going a little bit too far with the the create no, maybe not too far but like i, I was just scrolling through gone too far. the other day gone too far.
1: Mate,
2: I, I watched Those i watched kids. a guy i watched a 40 second video of a guy make a cello out of chocolate the other day <laughs> oh, <laughs> and i'm like, like what like are you um, doing like, like Patrick <laughs> or something
0: like, Probably, I've yeah. Seen, I've seen that guy yeah. on Facebook it's and I was like yeah.
1: incredible. Like it's um, completely pointless, but it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. What do you do the day? looks like a fan. And you're like, <laughs> like that's amazing. That you're like, <laughs> why? Like it looks so realistic. And he has like all the parts. Yeah, like, like, it's like he's yeah. an engineer as well. He's yeah. got like the bits down. There's like the electrical work on the inside. Yeah. Like honestly,
0: <laughs> <like, laughs> it's so like over a, top. Like, a, like an engineering degree and like to do a trade before he could like make this yeah. dessert.
1: It's it's just so yeah. the top, but like, I can't not watch him if it comes yeah. up. I know um, it's like and that's the thing. It's I like have, I got to the end of
2: this video and I'm like, what am I? What, what am I watching? Yeah. <laughs> I have to watch them, like two or three
1: times it's like they go quite quick, and I'm like, Fuck it. what did you do there? You're like, like again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great, great content. Anyway, but fucking hell. <laughs> like,
2: just that um, work. Let's finish it off. Have we got a tip each? Sam, have you got a tip for us?
0: Yes, of like someone to like yes. watch. Is that is that what the tip was?
2: Someone to watch, or uh, I don't know, tasting wine, anything. anything. Well, I've already
0: given my hot tips on no, on yeah. things to try and things to drink. So. Yes. My, my tip on someone to watch is if you haven't done it already, go subscribe to De- Jess Ho's monthly newsletter. It is, she's an incredible writer based in Melbourne um, and has this knack of using hilarious anecdotes and the antics of her family from childhood to now to talk about not only food, but to talk about like larger cultural social issues. She's really big on sort of using that as an, like to talk about cultural appropriation and things like that. And she's also given me a newfound appreciation of, of the humble white rice just from reading her <laughs> okay. newsletter, she is, she is brilliant and she's really funny and, and has now given me the understanding of why kanji should never be tricked up. So <laughs> I highly recommend subscribing to her monthly newsletter.
2: Amazing. How do we, how do we do it?
0: Uh, she is Jess Ho uh, on Instagram, and you can just click on the link on her profile and um and and go to it. It's cool. Really, really funny.
1: Easy. Simon, you got one? Um, yeah. My hot tip is book your restaurant outings, uh, soon. Yeah. Because we're all going to be uh, low capacity. Um, so one per four square meters inside, which can be. Absolutely fuck off with some people. And there's going to be a massive outflow of people wanting to eat dinner. So if you want to eat dinner in the first uh, month or two of, of reopening, I would book early. Also, it will just give us a little bit of, um, of of confidence that we're going to have some customers. So it'll be nice for the restaurant to know they've got a full house to open to um, and you won't miss out and be sad. Yep. That's a
2: hot tip. Bright, bright tip. Hot Great tip. Great take. tip. Love mm-hmm. it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, my one is, I'm going to read it from what I put it in our little briefing email. Basically it is, listen to whatever Adam Liao has to say and take it as gospel because he's smarter and more thoughtful than you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I do not see any fault in that or any mm. word of a lie. <laughs> mm. Okay,
2: Just good. Comments. I'm glad you agree, Sam. Um, he. He
1: seems he's so just, nice. He's, he just seems so he's nice. He's just
2: so good in every way. And he went. He? Oh, he, went yeah. to, he
1: went to Wales once and cooked some Welsh food. Like, did he just <laughs> see, wow. seems
2: so nice. Love it. Yeah, and like, <laughs> look, if like, if I, I don't know, I can't remember what I was trying to cook. Like, so I was trying to cook um, like, Hainanese chicken or something like that. And like, if there's a sort of a recipe like that where you're like, "Oh, like I, I sort of know the basics but I don't know the timings or all or, or those sorts of things, At if, like Adam and Liao will have a recipe for it and it'll fucking work every single time. time. And, uh, yeah, like and just sort of thoughtfulness, his knowledge of food history and things like that um, and just little tips on really good, efficient ways to make things easy for yourself. In, in the kitchen is really, really cool as well. So, I don't know. I just reckon people who don't follow Adam Liao's stuff don't, like, I mean, I watched, like, his, his YouTube series just on making um, ramen is, like, an eight-episode saga and stuff like that. It's just so much Epic. depth. So, yeah. He's There's got a, that new show.
0: Is it called The Cook-Up or? The
2: Cook-Up, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And is that's that a on... good
2: one as well. Is it's it on SBS movie? and you can the get book, it on yeah. SBS On Demand. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, all full of full of great people, great recipes, um and lots of great, you know, cooking tips and food and mm. stuff like that. So mm. thank you, Adam. Thank yeah. you for everything that you've given me. I love you. And <laughs> thank you, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'll do it. Yeah, wrap it up. I think that's it, guys. Sam, <laughs> thank you so much. Um <laughs> thank can't you. wait to enjoy a uh, just south of the Jura, bubbly with you <laughs> once Once we're open um, in, a, in a sunny Sydney park or something like that. On a that basic sounds park like hour. a plan,
0: my friends. <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you for having me on this very windy, dreary Tuesday night here mm-hmm. in lockdown in Sydney. Um, cool. I miss you both. Mm. Um, it's good to see you. We family. miss you too. Sir. And, um, and, yeah, I, I, I second that bubbles and burgers in the park as soon as possible
1: yeah yeah
0: great thank you so much sam thanks guys
2: Hello, dear listeners. Steph here. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Food Fight. If you want to get in touch with us, it's at The Food Fight Podcast on Instagram or TheFoodFightPodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you and we want to talk to you. Please leave us a five star review on iTunes. That really helps. If you want to hit me up, it's quicksandfood.com or at quicksandfood on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with Simon, it's Simon underscore Evans underscore TBD on Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll catch you again with another episode